It's December, time for hot tub ninjas wearing politically themed pajamas. Great songs with terrible messages and an interview with Anne Sabot. All this and more on The Leftscape. I'm Mary McGinley, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. And I'm Robin Renee. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and welcome to December. Uh, December uh, is AIDS Awareness Month, National Pear Month, Bingo's Birthday Month. Uh, that's Bingo the Game, not the dog. Um, Drunk and Drugged Driving Prevention Month. That Human is, Rights Month, <laughs> Thai Month. Okay, I guess that's because all dads are getting them. Um, <laughs> write a business, yeah. Write a business plan month. Uh, Quince and Watermelon Month. Why is that? I think it's separate. I might have combined them all. It, but there's still, always it's lots like of watermelon foods. is not in season. Ah. <laughs> I don't, maybe root it's in season. I understand. Down. Well, root vegetable <laughs> and exotic fruits month, safe toys and gifts, spiritual literacy, tomato and winter squash month. Yeah, so that makes you, sense. You must appreciate all those foods. <laughs> um, it's also, uh, we're in the middle of cookie cutter week, Crohn's and colitis awareness week, hand washing awareness week, Recipe greetings for the holidays week. Mm. Some of these make a lot of sense. Some of them are very interesting yeah. and odd. I know. I, I understand <laughs> like the problems and colitis uh, because um, in this holiday season, I always go to my family and I have people in my family who have Crohn's and colitis and they can never eat any of the holiday stuff. Mm. Mm. And the hand washing awareness is important because you're cooking feasts for people yes. and, and baking thousands of cookies. Right. It's also Sacher Tort Day, Bathtub Party Day today, uh, which is uh, December 5th. Uh, and Bathtub Party is encouraging people to relax in the tub. But, but how if you have people a, can fit in the tub and relax I at could, the same time? I could fit <laughs> three small people in my tub. Well, you have a big tub. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll find a hot tub. That sounds like a good plan, hot tub party. Yeah. <laughs> And it's also International Ninja Day. So you can dress like a ninja and sneak into the bathtub party. <laughs> okay. With a soccer protected. <laughs> <laughs> so also on this day in 1766, the art auction house Christie's made their first sale, made its first sale. And in 1933, Prohibition ended. Yay. Yes. And Yay. also in 2005, the UK's Civil Partnership Act came into force. So mm. that is good. that was a good step. Do they do they now also just recognize same sex marriage or did this say, well we don't need to deal with that you know anymore? What? I have to look that or up. I don't it? remember. I think I know I oh wow. That's a good question. I will look that up while we talk about something else. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well there's birthdays this month and in uh, we have to say Happy birthday to these people who are on the other side of the veil, like Walt Disney and Werner Heisenberg and J.J. Kale, who is a singer-songwriter who wrote the songs uh, After Midnight, Cocaine, Call Me the Breeze. Call Me the Breeze is one I don't know. The others I do know. It's a bluesy, Uh bluesy song. I think... I think the Almond Brothers kind of made it famous, um, but I'm not. Black don't Leonard quote me on that. Oh. Okay. So it's very <laughs> similar. <laughs> I can very easily yeah. confuse those two bands. <laughs> Fritz Lang. I know he's a director of uh, silent films. And uh, Otto Preminger, mm. who is also a director of sound films, who I met once um, 
at a Broadway show, so that's kind of cool. Let's see. Uh, people who are on this side of the veil uh, who are living, Little Richard, full of energy, uh, John Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls, Jim Messina, Margaret Cho, and last Monday was Wendy's birthday. Belated happy birthday, Wendy. Belated birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I think I am now um, 3D old. I'm still in ah. my 30s. Yes, I'm counting it in hexadecimal. <laughs> okay. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> and, uh, and if you do the math, you can figure out how old I am. <laughs> Same-sex marriage is, is a complicated issue in the UK, but in England and Wales, it was passed in July of 2013 and came into force on, the, on March of 2014. Um, there's other stuff about Scotland and Northern Ireland, but I don't think we can read it all now, but I should we should post this maybe. It is an interesting no. trajectory. Okay. But the civil partnership was then... Um, I don't want to use the T superseded, word. Yes. <laughs> superseded. There we go. It was superseded. <laughs> superseded with the uh, with the same sex marriage laws. Awesome. So that's good. Yes. It was a step. It was a step. <laughs> the civil partnership was a step to the. Thing. What news is going on this week? Ah, so. So the government released its climate report. Yes. Oh yeah, I like how they released it on Black Friday. So that nobody would pay attention to it, they thought. It's interesting. Yeah, some people said they buried it. I, I guess I guess I heard it, so I didn't think it, I didn't realize that. But um, it was interesting how there's like the dichotomy between the government, other than the head of the current administration trying to doing its work and putting out information that's important for people to know, and and um, and Trump and others sort of not acknowledging it or it's almost like two tracks are happening at once that's one of the things i found strange about it mm. you know well i don't know they they i heard all about it on npr so oh, it's not like the news i thought yeah yeah it, it's they may have they may have tried to bury it by posting that on a friday but um the way our news cycles go now i don't think it makes a difference mm. <laughs> anymore um so did did either of you actually read I the thing? I synopses or? of the thing. I <laughs> I think it will take um, it will take some dedication to read the actual report. Although it would be interesting and and useful, I think. Um, but you yeah. know, I think one of the things that they're saying is is u- unique about it is that it really talks about not only the human cost but the financial cost of the change of climate. So, yes. Well, they, if they don't do that, if they don't put down the financial costs of the changing, changing climate, then nobody in Washington I think Washington that's true, and I think that's an interesting tactic to take um, to try to put it in clear, uh, as clear a message as you can in in all aspects for people who care about, you know, humans, actual humans, and wanting to have a, a good planet and, and, and the other creatures, you know, um, and also those who are thinking about the industry and what how that's going to affect because we have greater numbers of fires and you know all kinds of mm. weather phenomenon we're just getting more intense over the next you know several years and and this is happening pretty quickly which is yeah. sobering and not and the not rising of sea levels you know but i'm glad that it's well the one getting woman involved. who who uh, I guess she was a geologist, if I remember correctly, because I'm listening to her on my drive home from the gym. Um, she is of the camp that thinks that it that believes we still can take steps to mitigate it, that it's not too late already. You know, because there's some people that were actually I remember this one guy saying it was too late, like six years ago. Which was so so uh, energizing and and happy, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean there are people who think that we are beyond the point of no return, and there's people who think that we can still there are still things we can do to slow it down or to minimize it or you know. Um, so and I I'm of the belief that if there's stuff we can do, we should do it. 
Me too. I don't believe all hope is lost. Um, maybe it would be, whether it's true or not, I think it would be foolish to think so because then we really would be, do nothing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or worse. And that's not my intention. And, and, and I've, I've read some reports also recently that there's a lot that can happen in terms of forest management. And I don't mean, you know, raking the forest floor <laughs> or vacuuming fires, but um, just in terms of, of planting and, and some, maybe also manage fires and things like that, there, that you can actually have a positive effect on environment. And I'm not speaking from, I don't have a quote in front of me right now, but you know, between industry and um, other aspects like that, it's, mm -hmm. I think there's, there are things to still, that are still possible, you know? There so, has to be. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm glad that it's being talked about. Yeah. Um, from the government, despite you know, someone saying that it's a hoax and the, it's the, the information still needs uh -huh. to come out and it's getting out. So that's good. Yeah. Yes. Let, let's hope that this will at least get these people who are saying it's a hoax, including Trump, um, to at least acknowledge that it's not a hoax. Tony Rogers is a listener of ours and he is actually the husband of the person that we are going to feature in an interview uh, uh, by uh, in a little while in this episode. Oh, awesome. Aunt Sabah is going to be speaking with me about uh, her life coaching practice and some other things. Um, but Tony sent uh, news about uh, peanut allergy, which is is actually, they're coming up with treatments that make it possible to build up resistance for folks who have um, allergies to peanuts, which is a really great thing. You know, uh, yeah. I don't have that allergy, but I do know people who have a severe severe peanut allergy and um i've no, talked to like, allergists i'm sorry it's like the one nut you're not allergic to <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and i've heard um allergists say that they would never even do a test for someone with nut allergies because they can be so severe they, they could just really just to have a, a very bad response just to even a test for it so they oh, just, wow really yeah they said avoid at all costs you just don't go near it and so it's interesting that they're coming up with i think some kids have been able to eat up to four peanuts per day oh. who used to like would it would be almost deadly too so that's um that's that's a good uh, development that means that that people could be sitting next to somebody eating a peanut butter sandwich at school and not have to worry. Right. So, so this report is, they said it's still in testing. They're not using it in anything official yet, but it's definitely looking promising. So that was some okay. good scientific news. Keep my fingers crossed. I should imagine though, it's kind of scary for parents if they're gonna try this out on their child. Uh, I think they might be reluctant. Well, it's gotta get it, we're, if it's still if it's still in the research phase, it's going to be a long time mm -hmm. before before it's released to the public as a as something to do. At least you want it to be you want it to be thoroughly tested. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Robin, you you discovered something really stupid over at Cafe Press. Is <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this is some stupid news. <laughs> I was looking. I was actually I was looking on Amazon for some um, Spider-Man pajamas because the ones that I have are, they've seen better days. I need to find some new ones. And for whatever reason, I need spider Spidey pajamas. Um, and so, you know, I was looking around and I saw these, the, the shirt were Spider-Man, Spider and that was cool. And the bottoms, you know, they have your regular checkers and different colors and things like that. And then I get to Okay, there's blue donkey pants and red elephant pants. And I'm just like, really? <laughs> <laughs> they made Spider-Man political. They did. Although they made every, all of their pajamas. And I don't know if what other, you know, prints they, what other um, types of categories of products that use this. But like all of them have Republican and Democrat pants. So I was like, this is, now it's just a... <laughs> A print. It's a you know. It's a it's a fandom. I guess. I I guess yeah, they're yeah. trying to appeal to particular markets. 
It is a fandom. It is a fandom. I, and I remember Spoonflower had um, one of their fabric design contests a couple of I, I think it was, oh, at least two election cycles ago. Um, they had a competition um, to do political fabrics, uh, you know, a lot. And it wasn't, it, they wanted the donkeys and the elephants together on the print. So it, you know, and a lot of times they were kind of like wrestling with each other or whatever. There were a lot of really amusing designs coming out of that contest a few years ago. So it's it's not unheard of. But yeah, having, I, I can't even imagine a situation where I'd want to wear politically themed pajama pants. Uh, yeah, well. It's so absurd. It's absurd and it's also, it's so ridiculous. <laughs> reductive I think is what bothers me about it that you know I mean there are real issues that we need to talk about and address and and be part of making the world better in some ways you know hopefully and and the idea that you know the the debates and the all of the discussion just boils down to like what logo you want to wear on your pajamas I just you know I think that's <laughs> what, what I'm imagining, however, is that Cafe Press is probably somewhere in China, and these people who, who actually, they're not American, they're like Chinese, they're saying, how can we sell more pajama bottoms uh, to Americans? <laughs> yeah, the Americans are so silly, let's, let's put uh, their political signs on pajama bottoms. Right, actually, well, that's the other part of it, that is completely you know there's no philosophy behind it it's like oh well we can sell some of these and we can sell some of these it kind of reminds me of the um star-bellied snitch do you know that story <laughs> with, uh, yes Seuss? Uh-huh. and uh yeah just convincing oh well these guys think oh we need to have stars oh we, you don't want stars those, those stars are for whoever and just selling the machine that <laughs> adds them and takes them off and it does, it's completely just just making all the money so and here, and here I, I'm, and I have, I have a, a mental image of of uh, all of the freshman Congress people who can't afford to live in the rent in 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 the D.C. area, so they can't maintain two homes, so they're living in their offices, and these are their pajamas. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm just thinking about like this, you know, pajama party of Congress people, and they all have like their their party's pants on funny so that that should be a thing that really should be a thing i think when i'm feeling when i'm feeling depressed about the whole situation i'll i'll get that image in my head and i'll just laugh so thank you for that you're welcome you're welcome hey this is wendy uh and we are Coming up to, I think we have been producing this podcast for six months now, if memory serves right. Um, And next week we want to do kind of a retrospective about the last six months. And if you, our regular loyal listeners, have any particular episode you really liked or you really hated, uh, well, if you really hated it, I'm not sure I want to hear about it. But um, if you, there's something you really like, there's stuff you want us to talk more about, uh, let us know. Um, we'll be posting uh, a post on our Facebook page, and uh, you can respond there. You could tweet at us at Leftscape. Hopefully, you will uh, you'll do that, and then and then uh, we can uh, share our results with you next week. And also, we would really appreciate your reviews uh, on iTunes. It helps us uh, get seen by other people looking for political podcasts. And uh, we really appreciate you listening. So, Anne Sabal, welcome to The Leftscape. Thank you. Good to be here. (laughs) Yeah, we um, first heard you in a little clip when we were part of a sort of a spontaneous um, counter demonstration to the very poor showing of Nazis that showed up in Washington, D.C. a while back. Yes. And uh, that was that was a fun day. I'm glad we did that, actually. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> 
Um, so anyway, I, you were a, an old friend, and it's really good to be talking to you for the show. I just so I know a little bit about you, but I just want to say that we, um, you grew up in Florida, I believe, and you've been in the D.C. area as well. You're currently in Fairfax, and yeah. I know you've worked in hospitality and pet care, and you have had a strong interest in alternative healing of various kinds. And so now you have a new business. And it's called Free to Be HSP. Um, yeah, that is right. Cool. And I would love to know your origin story. Like, how did you decide to get into life coaching? What what um, how, what was that path like? Well, I think I had thought about it for many years. Um, at least I don't know, at least a handful of years, I would say. And I had known different people who had gone into life coaching. And I wasn't, I, I knew that that was a path that I wanted to pursue um, because I wanted to help people. I knew I had, you know, just an interest in helping them move forward in their own lives. But before I could do that, I had to kind of take care of some business in my own life as far as being able to have the money to go to, you know, to do the program that I, that I did. And then also, you know, complete it and start reaching out to different coaching organizations in the area to see, you know, who was in need of life coaches because they're all independent contractors predominantly. And so I was able to finally do that at the end of last year and complete the program in an eight-week period and then you know, start attempting to, to, to do life coaching um, on a pro bono basis at first and then um, reaching out to a, a local group that, that does so in Centerville, Virginia. So I'm an independent contractor through them, and they're called Goose Creek Consulting. But <clears throat> my own personal uh, coaching practice is called Free to Be HSP, and HSP stands for Highly Sensitive People or persons, and I'm definitely one of those. One might equate that to being an empath um, or just someone who feels things very deeply. And I also, you know, like to incorporate mental health coaching as well um, for, for people especially with any kind of special needs or just mental health conditions in general like depression or anxiety because I definitely have lived with anxiety for, for all my life. So mm-hmm. that's kind of what led me to go into it is kind of wanting to help people like myself who, you know, maybe just need a little boost to, to get back on the right track. Okay, very good. So I want to know, um, just to backtrack a little bit, can you tell me, the basic definition of life coaching, because I, I know there are lots, lots of different kinds of counseling and therapy and things like that. And I know it's not therapy exactly. It um, tends to be more practical. Is that right? It, it is. Um, therapy is wonderful, and I do highly recommend it. Um, it is, life coaching does not require a master's degree. Um, therapy... Um, you know, counseling or therapy, you, it, it does. It requires a master's degree in either social work or counseling. Um, and therapy is usually past and present focused, and coaching tends to be present and future focused, I think, more than anything else. So kind of not necessarily... You can, you can delve into a client's past briefly in coaching, but for the most part, it's talking about where they are right now in their lives and where they want to be and how to help them get there. Okay, so you're just taking various tools that you learned and helping people sort of navigate into their next phase or their next business or their next sort of part of life in some way. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Okay, that's cool. So highly sensitive people. Um, you mentioned empath- empathy or being an empath. So, and that's kind of what I thought. I thought that they were similar, and I wasn't sure if they were the same thing exactly. So I, I want to hear more about that. Like what are some of the things that are the hallmarks of being HSP? Um, 
What I would say is I don't know that they're exactly the same, but they're pretty close. An empath is someone who feels everything very deeply themselves, and they tend to feel the feelings of those around them very deeply, uh, you know, often whether they want to or not. So they have to kind of shield a bit and, and guard against you know, what's theirs and what isn't theirs to take on. Um, HSP, or highly sensitive person, is someone who they may also be an empath and feel other people's uh, issues very deeply, but they definitely feel their own very deeply. So that is to say they might be highly affected by music. It could be you know, that they're very moved by it, and I definitely am, am one of those people myself. Um, also, maybe bright lights can, can often bother them. You know, big or loud crowds can bother them. So funny enough, I mean, I love going to you know, rock concerts, and I always have, but you know, you'll probably find me somewhere in the back or on the lawn or you know, away from the matting crowd as, as much as I can be. And I'm still enjoying things like crazy, but I'm just not necessarily always in the thick of things. Um, some HSPs might be introverts, some might not. I tend to lean that way myself. Um, I have a bit of an extroverted personality as far as, as work goes, but other than that, I think you know, I definitely need my downtime to recharge, and you know, I don't necessarily get charged up being around a huge group of people. I, I get you know, recharged by small groups or, or by myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> so um, <laughs> this is a, well, I don't know if this is a weird question or not, but I guess I'm trying to sort out, is HSP part of, um, is it part of what people would call neurotypical? Is it part of that range, or is it neuroatypical in some way? Um, how it, I guess I'm, is it a matter of degrees or intensity? I think it depends. For me, I personally consider myself neuroatypical. And the reason that I do is because in my own research of it and just the way that I personally experience the world, um, the definition of neuroatypical used to be someone who was on the autism spectrum. Now, while I may not necessarily be on the autism spectrum myself, I definitely, there's some overlap, I'm sure. Um, in, in the way that a lot of people on the autism spectrum experience the world and the way I do. Um, the definition of neuroatypical these days has become broadened in if you have any type of mental health condition like depression or anxiety or you know, bipolar disorder, any number of things, you're, it, it's now stated to be that you would be considered neuroatypical. So, for me, you know, I've, I've always dealt with high anxiety, um, and I think that that puts me poor, probably in the in the more neuroatypical category. Even even though in certain ways I function, I suppose, as would a neurotypical person. So, for some people, it might be easy to miss, but but for me, I I believe it to be true that that I'm more on the neuroatypical side of things. Okay, so. Thank you for, the, for sharing that, actually. That's, that's cool to know. Um, what is, um, so tell me about some of the therapies you might try to recommend for someone. I, I, I imagine it's different for everyone. But for example, if someone is very sensitive to sound and they need to, and they spend, maybe spend a lot of time avoiding things or need to find out a way to navigate the world that's different than other people, what would you like how would you approach something like that? Well, one thing that I would recommend in, in a case like that is, for instance, like I'll give my example of going to you know, concerts. They're, they're going to be loud. I mean, they're going to be amplified and everything, more so than just you, know, you can hear on the radio or just turn it down or up, you know, depending upon your preference. You can't do that at a show. But what you can do is I've been to shows where I, I was like, well, let me try earplugs. And 
I could still hear great, and they helped immensely, and they helped me, you know, to still enjoy the show while not being necessarily so overwhelmed by sound. And funny enough, at one of the shows that I went to, I was looking all around me, and a lot of people had earplugs in, and even the staff had earplugs in. So I was like, oh, well, all right. And so it didn't seem so completely foreign to do that after I, I started to see that a little more often. I think a lot of people, musicians and, and concert goers, want to have their hearing later in life, so they're doing that a little yes. more, you know, <laughs> unlike some people back in the day. Right. Definitely. Um, what, what's the most striking thing you've learned so far in your whole journey from uh, developing your practice, from studying, from um, people you've worked with? Is there anything that stands out to you? Um. I think one thing that stands out or what I'd like people to know is that <clears throat> even if you identify or experience the world in more of a neuroatypical way, you can still thrive. And you just have to go about things a little bit differently. And it doesn't mean that being neurotypical versus neuroatypical, I don't think either one is right or wrong. It just is a different way of, of being and a different way of experiencing the world. So I think that's an important thing to know. Um, I think, you know, a lot of times you, you learn a lot by, you know, working with different people. Um, I think you learn as much from your clients as they may learn from you. Um, you know, for instance, you know, some, you know, some of my clients will be people that are looking to transition in their careers and they'll have very unique circumstances that are just unique to them. And, you know, while I may be used to assisting people with, you know, reworking their resume somehow, you know, their particular situation I may not have experienced directly. So, you know, just learning from them what they've tried so far, what has worked and what hasn't worked, and kind of getting them to <clears throat> open up and share um, so that they can kind of determine their own course. Um, that's, that's the other unique thing about coaching. It's not telling people what to do because it's, it's, the thing is with coaching and or therapy, it's like you can't fix anyone else. They, they have to, the work is theirs to do. But you can draw them out and ask, you know, pointed questions and get them to hopefully open up and say what it is they think would work because I think ultimately the answers are inside them. <laughs> so it's really just about getting people to recognize what they already know, perhaps, or what they've been on the trail to discovering. Yeah, I think that's what it is. <clears throat> it's like, you know, just getting them to think of what would be, you know, because they know themselves better than, than anyone, and they can determine what is the, the best course of action for them. They just might need somebody to talk it through with, I think. Because sometimes, you know, when we get inside our own heads too much and we don't, you know, necessarily have an impartial person to talk to, you know, we might think of all kinds of things but not know how to execute on those things. And sometimes just talking to an impartial individual um, like a life coach, you're able to, to say, okay, well, you're able to just talk it out, whereas, you know, alone, you might be just kind of ruminating in the same, uh, the same thought patterns that you have before. Absolutely. <laughs> so what about um, life skills that anybody might be able to practice? Are there some things that you can leave us with that sort of anybody can pick up a, a, a way of being in the world or a, or a habit or an exercise or two that would be great for people to sort of make their lives, their lives better in some way? Um, one thing that I can, I kind of, I live by this um, is, is definitely a planner. Now, 
everybody does not do paper planners like I do. I mean, I'm, I'm a little old school in that regard because, you know, it, and, but I, I feel kind of whatever works for them to help plan their day, that could be something that can just, just writing it down or typing it out if you choose to use like an electronic means of, you know, or smartphone, um, of planning your day and planning your week and, and months and year ahead. I think that's a great thing that has served me well and, you know, it's helped me realize, okay, well, these are the things that I have listed to do today. Okay, but this thing over here just came up. Now what's priority? And it helps me to kind of prioritize it, to have it listed on paper rather than to try and keep everything in my head because, you know, I mean, it will just get scrambled if I do that. So I think that that is one tool that I have in my toolbox that I highly recommend to other people that I find helps to, to get tasks done and accomplished and, and goals met. I mean, I've, I've found that that's been quite helpful. Mm -hmm. Do you recommend things like yoga or um, I, I, I know you're fond of the didgeridoo, like things like that that are a little more <laughs> out of the box for people or is that something that you don't necessarily talk about in this particular practice? Oh, no, I definitely, I, I'm kind of a whatever works type of person. So I think that if they're going through something that, you know, where they, they're feeling tense all the time or, or stressed, you know, anything that they can do that's a safe way for them to cope with that stress and move through it, yoga is an excellent way, um, you know, it could be, you know, didgeridoo hypnosis is something that, you know, one of, one of my friends uh, does, and he, you know, is able to kind of use the sound of the didgeridoo to help people get more grounded. And so to go to, to events like that can be quite helpful. Um, things like meditation can definitely help. I admit I'm not the best meditator, but that's why they call it a practice because you can always restart any day you like <laughs> and, you know, reset and, and try again. So those, those, are, those are all good things to have in one's toolbox, I think. Very, very cool. Well, thank you so much. Are there any other things you'd like to share about what you do or the nature of HSG or anything like that? Um, I think just what I would like people to know is that even if you identify as a highly sensitive person, a lot of people, you know, view it as overwhelming, and it is, it can be. You know, you can be overwhelmed by sights, sounds, and, you know, just stimuli of the outside world or of your particular surroundings in your workplace or what have you. And what I'd like to leave people with is to realize that there's nothing wrong with them. It's, it's a trait. It's, it's, you know, not a disorder or anything like that. And they can successfully navigate the world. They just may have to go about it a little bit differently than perhaps somebody who isn't, you know, sensory overloaded might be. So that's, you know, that's one thing that I'd like to leave folks with. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Anne. And I hope we talk to you again. Thank you. All right. Take care. So one of the things I'm really curious about, and I, I am a pretty, um, I can react pretty strongly to things sometimes, especially the sound in particular, but um, I'm wondering, if what you're talking about is what I experience or how similar it is and things like that. So how does it feel to be in the kind of overwhelm that you mentioned? For me personally, I think it is, for instance, like if I'm at, I still, I still do have, um, you know, a full-time job that, that I do. Um, I'm working to, 
I work my coaching around that. So that's that's one thing that I do, and I am looking to segue 100% into coaching, you know, as soon as I'm able to. Um, but for my full-time job, it is in a call center environment, so it can be very loud and disorienting, and it it feels a bit disorienting. Um, that would be one way to to talk about how it feels, and. It just Does feels your heart overwhelming. Flutter? Do like, you feel like you need to like run away from people and hide? Is it like a, is it a panic thing? I say the last part again. Is it a panic thing that you you either you or or clients that you work with? Is that sort of what it feels like? Or just it, the, it I, can you know. manifest in in a panic uh, type of way, but I think mostly it's just like you're hearing all the sounds around you and you're not necessarily able to process everything. It's just like, okay. So you have to, what I've found is that, you know, you might just have a feeling of maybe, you know, holding your breath and being like, oh my gosh, you know, there's so much sensory coming at me. What am I going to do with it all? And so a lot of times you just have to take a deep breath, regroup really quickly and just, say, okay, in, in your own mind, you know, obviously not out loud, but, you know, I can't per se control this stimuli, but what I can do is just respond to it one thing at a time and, you know, understand that, yes, I'm hearing these noises, much like you do when you're um, meditating, you know, you're going to hear outside sounds or sounds going on in the house or wherever you happen to be meditating. And so what you can do is say to yourself, okay, there's a thought, let it pass. And in this case, you know, okay, there are noises around me, but I'm not going to let that get the better of me. I'm going to handle each call as it comes in, and I'm going to move through it and, you know, not, I'm, I'm going to do my utmost to tune out the chatter around me and just mm-hmm. focus on what I'm doing. So I think if you can, you know, I, I guess hyper-focus might be the word, um, and just, you know, kind of almost tunnel vision and say, okay, well, this is what I'm doing right now, and I'm just going to, you know, work through whatever my task at hand is and I'm not going to let anything else get in the way during this time. And that's, that's some things that it's, not, it's easier said than done, but, you know, that can help, I think. Okay. I'm laughing because I think I might need your, your advice and your services because I know I've told you about this sometimes before. When I go out to a cafe, I, I have it in my head, like, oh, I want to be around people and I, I want to work in a sort of a public space for a while. So I get there. And immediately I'm like, oh my God, people drive me crazy. <laughs> I do that myself. It's like I need other people's guidance when I'm, you know. Right. Well, I think everybody has that. They, oh, we all have our own stuff, you know. But for me, it's motion. It's like people with, with restless leg syndrome and things like that. Like I seem to always be right near someone like that. And I wind up sort of literally, like when you mentioned tunnel vision, I laugh because I literally block, do something to block my vision so I don't see them because it will yes. make me have to leave the building or something. And it's like, it's, it's kind of extreme sometimes. So I wonder like what's, what's up with that. But, um, but that's, yeah. So I, I think you're right. Actually applying meditative techniques to something like that could really help it. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Hi, I'm Robin Renee. You can find me online at RobinRenee.com and you can find my music on iTunes, CD Baby, Pandora, Spotify, and elsewhere around the web. On Friday, December 22nd, I'll be performing at Cross Pollination Gallery. It is their holiday concert at 69 Bridge Street, Lambertville, New Jersey. It starts uh, pretty early. It's 5 to 8 p.m. And the other artists on the bill are Gerard Dutka and Richard Jarbo. So please check it out if you are in the area. And also, Quest of Life Media and Broadcast is a nonprofit LGBT singer-songwriter support service organization, and they've just announced their first holiday release. It's called Holiday 2018. The compilation has um, 14 LGBT artists, including 
Freddie Freeman, Noreen Braun, Namalee Brennett, Jay Spears, and myself. I have a parody song called Hare Krishna Christmas, and that is on the album as well. So it's it's a really nice listen. Um, and please check it out, support them. Their website is questoflife.org, and that is where you can get your copy. So thanks so much, and I hope you're having a great holiday season. The Leftscape is sponsored by Harlequin and Other Fantasies, a meditative coloring book for grown-ups. Over 30 original illustrations to color, printed on 80-pound cover stock paper to avoid bleed-through with alcohol-based markers like Sharpies. Spiral-bound to lay flat when open. Printed on one side so you can frame your masterpiece without sacrificing another drawing. Subjects include animals, people, mandalas, steampunk, Celtic knotwork, and so much more. Use Leftscape at checkout to get free shipping. See the Leftscape website for details. Purchase Harlequin and other fantasies from wendycards.com. Great songs with terrible messages. <laughs> there are a few of those out there. What do you There's, think? Yeah, <laughs> there are. Yeah, it's are, are we are we speaking uh, misogyny? Are we speaking patriarchy? Are we speaking something else? I have, uh, <laughs> I tend to think that that's the topic that seems most prevalent if you're talking about something with bad lyrics. But uh, there might be some others out there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't have an exhaustive okay. list. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I don't know that I'd want to do the research to find the exhaustive list. I think it would be kind of sad. Uh, well, what made you think of this topic in the first place? Uh, I was thinking about Under My Thumb, actually. Mm-hmm. By the Stones. Okay. It's, it's, uh, it's such a boppy little beat. You know, and you could just easily be singing along with it. And then you realize he's just talking about like suppressing this woman and feeling like you know he can do whatever he wants but she's just going to stay at home and whatever and I was like really you know I mean I, ever since I was a kid I kind of went wow that's that's not really cool yeah <laughs> nice beat nice sound you know that may that may be part of the reason why I never really liked the stones but I'm a not lot sure of people, I've heard that um, critique about them before I like them a lot but but they are you know they have a, a machismo swagger that you know isn't great in real life you know sometimes and and other songs i don't hear that in but i don't know well there was uh earlier in no at the beginning of november there was a performance piece i I don't know how the hell would you call these things uh it was like this performance installation uh happening thank you (laughs) see i i am so so far away from the the uh, art art speak art society high society thing, it's like I, I don't You're know. You're too the busy to doing art this. to talk about it. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, there's there was an installation it at uh, the Women's Building in San Francisco uh, from November 9th to November 11th, and. It was 32 local women artists singing 25 pop songs. Um, They're saying this well-known selections from rock, folk, country, and hip-hop. And they were all rearranged. All of the songs were were new arrangements done for um, acoustic guitar and possibly banjo. And um, the name of of this piece was... um, romantic songs of the patriarchy i think (laughs) and and these women were singing the songs in a loop continuously for hours and hours and hours over this three-day period it was like a a 19-hour marathon of of singing and playing uh which i i think is is really impressive i know now for me now there's no way i could i could have done that yeah you know, but uh, the endurance to, aspect of it is fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah, that's what that's what I mean. That's like the endurance aspect. It, it's like a marathon. Yeah. Well, you <laughs> and, have to commit and, yourself and, uh, to it. But you, as a, a participant, or rather an audience member, you don't have to stay there for 19 hours. You just walk through. Oh no, 
No, well, the, 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 the pieces I read about this um, was, uh, you know, that was like one woman, you know, they would come in and, and, and you, you know, and apparently it was very difficult. Some of these songs were very difficult well, to listen to. What kind of songs to. were they? I mean, do you know some of the titles? Uh, well, yeah, well, I, they did under, under My Thumb. They did, uh, let's see, they did. Um, Girl, You're a Woman Now. Yeah, Blurred Lines. Uh, there were some Spanish songs. Uh, Lo Mejor de Tu Vida by Julio Iglesias. There's a lot of different of a lot of different songs, like the the Police, uh, Every Breath You Take, uh, the Crystals. Hit he hit me and it felt like a kiss. Um, and the Beatles, uh, Run mm, for Your Life. That's a very good example of um, this. Because I really like that song, and then you think, oh, my God, John, what were you thinking? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and Lil Wayne's Love Me, Nine Inch Nails Closer, Tammy Wynette's Stand By Your Man, and Alice Cooper's Only Women Bleed. So that's a, a sampling of of the songs they were playing, and, and they were doing this. This is like a, an office building kind of space where a lot of women's organizations um, carry on their business. And then for this weekend, I think they just kind of took over various rooms. So these women were scattered around and you'd wander through. You'd and, go from room and, uh, to room and in each room would be a different song. Yeah, and I think there were some songs where there would be two performers sort of on different sides of the room, sort of intermingling with their with, with that. And, and not everybody was singing. Um, hmm. That sounds really interesting. Yeah, I kind of wish it wasn't so far away. I would have, I would have liked to have have well, experienced. It. Hopefully, somebody will um, do something like that again, closer. Yeah, well, it's this Icelandic guy is Ragnar Kjartansson. so he was the band leader for Romantic Songs mm. of the Patriarchy. Do you know? Do you think of some other tunes that you have always thought that about, or? And nothing that hasn't been listed is the thing. Um, a lot of times, if if the lyrics are really disturbing to me, I will like just stop mm -hmm. listening to the song. You know, I think oh, Mary. Well, had I one, just always remember right? when I was a freshman in high school. Our high school did the musical Carousel, and I I thought I knew mm -hmm. Carousel, and then I was in it. I was in the chorus. But uh, there was a song that I had to sing in too, in a group, and it went, uh, my mother used to say to me, when you grow up, my son, I hope you're a bum like your father was, cause a good man ain't no fun. And, and it was all about, uh, there's nothing so bad for a woman as the man who thinks he's good. So it's all about comparing the good men are no good for women, women like, the bad men who hit them and beat them up. They're more interesting. Ugh. <laughs> and actually Carousel, that's that's why Carousel uh -huh. is such a dark show because it's based on a play about a guy who beat his wife. Hmm. So in the play, is that song supposed to be... It's, it's, it's the belief of this person, but is, is the play actually teaching the opposite or is it sort of glorifying that? Idea. It's kind of glorifying, hmm. I think. Yeah, because the the uh, model of a good man was Mr. No, and and they make him be a real annoying person. Hmm. That the good man is so self righteous that he's annoying, and we like the bad boys. Yeah, well, I you know, I mean, we could get into the whole theater. Thing. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm thinking about musicals of that era. Kiss Me Kate comes to mind, and that's based on Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. And, yeah, that's, like, a lot of no fun for the women. Um. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Wow. So the songs, I, I thought of a couple more. The Midnight Train to Georgia always struck me in a certain way. You know, in one way, it's, it's just about a guy who's trying to make it in the, in the you know, business and in, in show business and doesn't make it and he's coming home and all this, but it's like the sentiment of the way Gladys Knight is singing it. She's like, I'd rather live in this. I'd rather live in his world than live without him in mine. 
So, so should we give up her life to be with him? Yeah. So she's just going to wow. follow along and do whatever he does. And if he's going back to Georgia, she's going to be on the train with him. And, you know, I don't know. It's sort of um, it lacks a kind of autonomy that it just bothers me that every time I hear that. And it's a song that my mother really loves. So I, I have really positive feelings about it when I hear it. But I also get like, you. <laughs> and yeah, the other I, one. Okay. Okay. Sorry. No, I was, I've, I've written, uh, I wrote, I wrote a song um, after, oh, I wrote the lyrics after some horrible fight with my second husband um, that got physical and, and, and I, it turned, I actually recorded it and, and then I, I was, it was on one of my demo tapes and I sent it to somebody and they, they basically just said, oh, I don't like it. It's too codependent. And it's like, I had to completely like revisit what I wrote and it's like, oh, wow, it really is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you That's, know, to get an insight like that. Yeah. Well, it, and it's also, well, it's also, if you think about, if you think about a lot of, um the songs that women write they're they're kind of playing into the patriarchy too uh, oh yeah there are a lot of songs that are like i'll do anything and yeah you know, that sort of thing so what was the other song you were gonna say before i interrupted you <laughs> oh it wasn't me by shaggy oh oh okay and i think that song it's it's just really funny i mean it's it is a humorous song about this guy who gets caught cheating, like literally seen on the on the bedroom floor with this other woman and whatever. And his friend's advice is just just tell her it wasn't you. Like keep just telling her. <laughs> and it's like it's really like gaslighting one on one, you know? Yeah. So, that's what extreme. <laughs> so I, I was just like realizing the lyrics to that a while back and I was like, Wow, that's really bad <laughs> you know. However, though it's been re uh, it's been revisited by Shaggy, who did um, a parody of it with uh, James Corden, and it's Trump to Robert Mueller. It wasn't me, <laughs> and it's and it's very funny. So that's that is definitely has redeemed that song in a lot. <laughs> so it's it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, and I and I also want to say that there's a lot of women writing songs too smash the patriarchy so we're getting better <laughs> yeah and i and i did mention earlier i think it's good to well here's the one thing i will say i think it's fine to write songs that reflect real experiences that aren't always ideal because i think a lot of times people are talking like speaking against lyrics that are um I think they're glorifying it when I think it's actually just descriptive. And I think it's important for artists to be able to describe all of their complicated experiences and feelings, even if they're not the, the perfect ideal. Yeah. Except that, except that when something gets popular and you're hearing it all the time, it starts to program your brain. So do you think that every breath you take, and I know that Sting has talked about this, that that song is about, a st- it's about stalking, actually. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't intended to be a great romantic love song. And unfortunately, some people have taken it that way, but I don't think it's right to say he shouldn't have written it. No, I'm not saying that either. Okay. Um, and it's, it's a hard, it's hard. It's hard because, uh, you know, we get a lot of messaging through media uh, con- you know, we're, we are constantly bombarded with messaging mm-hmm. and a lot of it, a lot of it tells us that, you know, we don't look right or we're not acting right or we're not behaving in the way that someone who presents in our way should behave. Right. I, I um, agree with you. Was- you know, so it, it stuff that reinforces that is I think is kind of problematic, but it, you know, um, it's not exactly the world that we had when I was growing up where, you know, where your only source of music besides your record player was the radio and the radio would play, you know, the, the top 10 songs at least once an hour mm-hmm. over and over and over again all day long. Like that. That's 
too. Yeah, it's like it was like I remember the year where if you wanted to hear American Pie, you just kept turning the dial until you heard it. Right. Because it was on constantly, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere on your radio dial, American Pie was playing for that year. Right. <laughs> and it was so long, so you could like be just tuning through, and you hear like a little snippet. It's oh okay, and then you kind of jump in in the middle and listen to the rest of it. And then you tune it again, you can maybe catch the beginning. You know, it, it was that was my life for a while. Um, you know, tuning the radio dial to find a song I liked. Um, but yeah, it's different now. Um, and I just, I just hope that, you know, people keep enough agency and confidence within themselves that they, that they don't feel programmed by the music. Absolutely. And I also hope that artists keep growing in their own consciousness and awareness to understand the impact of what they write. You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Find us online at leftscape.com, on Twitter at Leftscape, and on Facebook at Leftscape. The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. New episodes every Wednesday. 